Welcome to another video game travelogue, or in this case survivalogue, presented by Gunblade Guys and the Hero with a Thousand Potions podcast. I'm Tyler, one of the podcast hosts. Essentially, this is an audio essay of my moment-by-moment -moment adventure through a video game. It is my personal narrative revealing my thoughts and experiences as I play through it. This particular travelogue is about Resident Evil 2 Remake, which came out in 2019. The game originally came out in 1998 on the original PlayStation, developed and published by Capcom. I picked this game for my third travelogue because, well, my podcast co-host Nate recommended it, but more importantly it's because I have never played a horror game before that didn't have a vacuum-wielding plumber as its protagonist. We figured that my inexperience with the genre combined with the travelogue format could make for a pretty exciting audio adventure. So I went for it and played through the game during the months of November and December 2022 on my Steam Deck. And we're stylishly calling this travelogue a survivalogue to play into its horror tropes. So that's fun. I want to underscore to listeners that this is not a review of Resident Evil 2 Remake. I am not going to compare Resident Evil 2 to the rest of the series. I'm not going to rate this game some number out of 5 or 10, and I'm not even going to make a recommendation that you should play it. I'm not going to cover everything that can happen in this game. I'm only covering what I did, and I'll tell you right now I'm not the completionist type. It's everything I experienced and nothing I didn't. So, if I didn't experience a particular morsel of content, there's a good chance it never comes up. But that's part of the charm of the format, isn't it? So don't treat this like a guide on how to play Resident Evil 2 Remake, because I'm definitely, definitely going to steer you wrong. Treat this more like video game storytelling. This is simply Resident Evil 2 Remake retold as the player experienced it as the game unfolds before them, from beginning to end, each moment richly detailed with illustrative descriptions that shares what the adventure was like for me, plus my thoughts, feelings, theories, some humor. Oh, and every time I cheat or game over, I go into this negative world where meddlesome spirits confront me about my misdeeds. So far I've met Game Over Kid and the trickster duo Cheater Cheater and Pumpkin Eater. Who knows what other creatures live out in those Shadowlands too. Hmm. I feel like I should also point out that this particular video series is not intended for young children on account of its descriptions of horrific moments and occasional foul language by yours truly. Alright, with all of that out of the way, this is Raccoon City Inferno, a Resident Evil 2 remake survivalogue. Enjoy. An image of a car driving down a road at night fills the screen. Its headlights illuminate raindrops falling around the vehicle. I can't tell what kind of vehicle this is. Maybe it's a jeep? I can see there are two figures in the car, but the rain is obscuring their faces. Laid over the image is a menu. Leon S. Kennedy, currently set in bold, Claire Redfield, and Options. The bold means Leon's name is the current selection, and a prompt below teases the beginning of his story, which reads... Leon S. Kennedy. After a few days of radio silence from his new post, Leon S. Kennedy drives to Raccoon City to scope things out. Unbeknownst to him, a nightmare begins. If I select Claire Redfield, the image changes to a woman in a red jacket and white helmet riding a motorcycle down a dark road, a column of high-mast highway lighting leading her path. The prompt says, Claire Redfield. A different nightmare awaits Claire Redfield, who is unaware of just how drastically her ordinary life is about to change. I pick Leon's story because, although I can do with playing out the adventure of a young 19-year-old redhead, I find Leon's prompt has more raw intrigue to it. New post? Where? Well, just out of Raccoon City, I suppose. And three days of radio silence, huh? It already sounds like an eternity. 
Let's go, Leo. Now it's time to select the game mode. There's Assisted, which gives aim assist, auto health restore, and easier enemies. Standard, the normal gameplay mode, and Hardcore, where saving requires an ink ribbon, no auto saves, and stronger enemies. So what, we save our game on typewriters? Anyways, I go standard. The screen goes black, and an introductory cutscene begins. It hits all the beats of a classic pre-title screen horror movie scene. We begin with a greasy bacon cheeseburger that fills the screen, and we can hear an interview taking place over the radio. A disturbed interviewee begins to tell the story of a man who ran into a woman with her face rotted off as he stumbled home from the bars the other night. A distrusting radio host challenges his claims, but I think he's just humiliating his guest as a means to pander to his late-night audience. A hand grabs the burger and shoves it into the mouth of a middle-aged, bearded, baseball cap-wearing truck driver. The hand is his, of course. We're driving a tank truck, presumably carrying gasoline down an unknown country road in the middle of the night. Rain is pouring down all over us. He smiles as he chews, getting increasingly interested in the interview as the interviewee describes his encounter with a walking dead woman. She looked like a corpse, man, the interviewee exclaims. Heh, <laughs> sounds like my wife, says the driver. The driver gets frustrated, and as he turns his eyes from the road to turn knobs on his console, he yawns and says he needs sleep. The cinematography of this moment is a behind-the-shoulder shot where we can see the driver's not looking at a leggy, pale figure walking into the lights along the truck's path. The truck strikes the pale figure, and blood spurts. The driver jerks awake, cries out, oh shit, and stomps on the brakes. Pinned against the radiator as the truck careens forward, we can see the figure's wet locks of hair shake wildly in front of the illuminated road in a truly unsettling moment. The truck shrieks to a halt on the shoulder, and the thing unsticks from the truck, tumbles forward, and crashes onto the pavement with a wet plop. The loneliest truck driver in the world races out of the cab and sees the crumpled up person on the ground. It's a beautiful young woman in a rain-drenched white button-down shirt. He inspects her body, gets up again, turns his back to her, and panics, fretting that he's killed someone. The dead woman rises to her feet without his noticing. The dramatic music comes to a pitch, and then all goes black and silent. A moment later, more radio, but this time it's music. Hair metal that I don't recognize. Looks like another man is driving this one. And from this low angle, we can see the car's gear shifter box has a decal on it bearing three initials. RPD with a black and white logo above it that looks like a five-pointed star in the center of a shield. PD, that should mean police department, right? More rain, more middle of the night. The vehicle pulls over into an illuminated gas station, and I can see that I was right. This is some sort of Jeep from the Leon campaign splash screen. The vehicle comes to a stop at one of the pumps, and a young man emerges from the vehicle. Handsome, clean-shaven, full lips, chin dimple. A chimple? A chimple. And straight dark hair parted to the side, just long enough to brush over his eyes. This must be Leon. He presses a green pump handle into the car's tank. The handle's hose bears the word warning on it, and I find it a little foreboding. A moment passes, and he becomes suddenly aware that no one else is here. He looks to the side and sees an empty police car with its lights on and doors open parked at an unusual angle in front of the gas station store, suggesting it came to a stop there urgently or desperately. He says, this is weird, and then we hear glass shatter. He returns the handle to the gas pump and looks into the gas station store. It looks dark and uninviting and not open at all. Yet its open close sign says it is open for business. Leon becomes increasingly aware that something is wrong when he sees the parking space beside his is covered in thick splotches of blood and bloody shoe prints. With the camera hanging over his shoulder, it is in this moment that we take control of Leon. The parked squad car's headlights are illuminating the gas station's entrance. I'm a little startled by this transition because I've been enjoying these scripted scenes so far, but movie time is over. 
It's time to play Resident Evil 2. Look around. Right stick. Walk. Left stick. Run. Press left stick. I test these controls by walking to the road, and I can see regular gasoline is $1.06, plus is $1.09, and sup is $1.12. Oh, and diesel is $1.02. Holy shit, are these gasoline prices? Another illuminated sign on the other side of the property says, Welcome to Raccoon City, home of Umbrella. And that phrase, home of Umbrella, is enclosed in two identical symbols, an octagon of eight white and red triangles all pointed into the center of the polygon. There are two small billboard-style advertisements on the property, one for Dingo Cigarettes, another for Cortese Painting Company. A vinyl sign hanging before the gas station store's windows advertises cheeseburgers, and I wonder if this could have been the place where the trucker bought his greasy snack. Thanks to the headlights, my shadow hangs large over the gas station's front door when I enter. Leon calls out, is anyone there? And no one answers. Picking up a flashlight, we can see the shop floor has a few areas where sundries have been knocked from their shelves. Leon gets the feeling that something's not right, and a prompt invites me to investigate the store. I can hear bottles clank against one another, and the sounds of a struggle going on in another room. I try to follow the sound. I find a door in the back, but nothing happens. I turn around and follow a line of cooler doors to discover a man in a blue polo sitting on the ground. No, this is a cop. He's holding his bloody hand against his bloody neck, sitting in puddles of presumably his own blood. I tell him, don't move, and that I'm coming back for him. He simply points a crooked finger towards the next room. This silent gesture is spine-tingling, like as if he's the harbinger of my inevitable doom. I walk across a narrow utility hallway, which opens up into a storeroom. Then I shine my light on a cop who is apprehending a person who is thrashing against the cop's strength to cuff him. Leon asks the officer if he needs help. This offer for help distracts the officer to the extent that the struggling person frees itself from the cop's grapple, knocks him to the ground, and then tears out a long, stretchy chunk of neck flesh with its mouth, blood dripping wetly all over. Finally, it looks up into the light, Leon is shining on it, and we can see a human-like monster, perhaps a risen corpse with pale white skin, cloudy white eyes, and gnarled teeth. The lower half of its face is splashed in crimson. We retake control of Leon again, who hollers, Freeze! I'll shoot! It gets up and begins walking towards me, growling. I back up, and it continues walking towards me. Then a prompt appears, telling me how to draw my firearm and shoot. As I'm acquainting myself with these instructions, I walk back into the store's service hallway, and when the corpse follows me in, it raises its arms towards me and picks up speed. I fire. He takes five shots to the head before he falls to the floor, the last two of which were in total disbelief because those first three shots had blown off part of its head. I inspect the cop. He's lying motionless in a pile of blood. I find an open safe and take a key. It is here that I see my inventory for the first time. There are eight slots. Two are occupied by the key and my handgun. I inspect the handgun. Its tooltip says, Matilda, handgun. 12-shot capacity, 9mm polymer frame handgun, non-standard issue gun with problems that make it impractical for general public. What? Hold on. Matilda's not good enough for public use, but it's good enough for me? Anyways, the key's tooltip says simply, a well-worn key. As I'm looking around the room, the corpse comes to its feet again, and I fell it again with another four shots to the head. Better hurry up. I open a locked door with the key. This opens the door I tried to open in the first room. A corpse collapses to the ground, and I fire my last bullets into it. I watch it writhe on the ground for a moment, then I turn to my right, where another corpse is standing over me. It leaps at me and attacks, and I honest to God startled at this. I'm out of bullets, so I just run from it. Then a third corpse leaps out at me and attacks me too. 
I haven't learned any melee skills yet, I don't think at least, so I just run the fuck out of there. Some shelves are tipped over to create a winding gauntlet that I must run through to flee the dark gas station store. When I have the exit in sight, a corpse in hiding knocks over a display onto me. I shrug it off and I keep running, and just as I'm about to pass through the door, a young woman in red, with red hair, presses her shoulder into the door, opening it. Miss Redfield, I presume. Leon points his handgun at her. She throws her hands up and says, don't shoot! But Leon hollers, get down, and ices an animated corpse standing behind her. And with what bullet is going to be a mystery to me. She thanks Leon, and we develop a brief survivor's bond with one another as a squad of corpses forms a semicircle around us. She has a handgun too. We both point our guns at the closing semicircle, then a corpse from inside the store behind us nudges us out of the frying pan and into the fire. To our side, Leon and Claire leap into the idling cop car's open doors, slam the doors shut, and go screaming out of there. Scene over. As the adrenaline drains, we have a moment to introduce ourselves. Leon explains he's headed to the police station for answers, and Claire says she's looking for her brother, also a cop. Then a title movie plays, showing rainy metropolitan infrastructure and rotating camera angles. Select developer credits appear in the corners. Quick shots of blood rising up the neck of a limestone statue, tactical gear, and a red stoplight. A drone shot pointing down on the city pulls back, and the cityscape coalesces into the Resident Evil 2 logo. The whole thing is grimly glorious. Back in the Jeep, we're driving down a city block and can hear an authoritative voice from a megaphone inviting survivors to the police station where there is food, water, and supplies. Claire wonders if there will be any survivors there at all, but Leon holds out hope on account of how big this city is. We come to a stop before an impassable barricade filled with countless crashed vehicles. We decide to run to the police station from here. They notice us, and the undead begin assaulting the cop car we are in. Their bodies are pressed against the vehicle such that we struggle to open the doors. Then headlights illuminate the vehicle from behind. It's a truck. The truck. Driven by that same truck driver bitten by the woman he struck. He's wincing, pressing a hand against a wound on his collarbone. He loses control of the 16-wheeler and strikes the cop car with a glancing blow. Crushing corpses are sending them flying. And this feels like the beginning of a game of pool. Our cop car careens forwards and comes to a stop. If we're going to run to the police station, we have to do it now. We get out of the cop car, which explodes! The tank truck explodes too, and the whole area is covered in tall walls of burning orange flames. Claire and Leon are separated from one another and agree to meet separately at the station as a squad of corpses walk towards my Leon. I regain control of Leon and race through this closed-down road, avoiding the corpses. Most hardly notice I'm walking past them, not that I have any bullets anyways. The only way out is through an alley, off to the side, and then up a concrete staircase. At the top, we can see the police station is just up the block and across another road filled with abandoned crashed cars, some of which are still burning. I throw open a gate and lock it behind me. This seems like an old building, the station's lobby, or main hall. There's nobody here but a limestone statue of Lady Justice standing behind a large reception desk made of polished wood. My attention goes to a freight door to the right with a hand-drawn sign that says, Keep out! I flip a switch and the door only rolls upward two feet. Following the next action prompt, Leon inexplicably gets on his belly and shines his flashlight into the room, then slides under the door. This is not what I wanted to do. I haven't even checked the front desk yet. Okay, fine. Let's explore this creepy-ass room I wasn't supposed to open. Here we go. It's dark and it's wet in here. I inspect a fuse box that has a fuse missing. I notice a couple payphones, missing children's posters. I walk past a red door and glance through the room's windows. A little farther in, I open a white door that opens into a press room. Video camera on a tripod, podium, room for rows of chairs, the whole shebang. 
Can I find some more ammo, please? And you know what? I find 10 rounds on a dead poor sap on the ground. I reload. I move a knocked-over file cabinet and see doors to the men's and women's bathrooms. The men's one is boarded up. Strange, but let's say it's for good reason. I enter the women's bathroom. Why am I entering the women's bathroom? Three stalls. The farthest one is open, and the other two are closed. I'm getting GoldenEye flashbacks, and do I really want to know what's behind these stall doors? I open the middle stall. Sitting on top of the toilet's water tank is a first aid spray. Handy! I open the first stall, and the toilet is flooding full bore. Let's get out of here. Another hallway, another dead body on the ground. I hear a male voice hollering to open the door. There's doors all around here, and I can't tell which one this voice is behind. I try one door. It doesn't open. I walk behind a desk to find another freight door. Maybe he's behind this. I throw the door upwards with my strength, and it just opens a couple feet again. And a cop on his back slides through. He's got something in his hand and is struggling with something on the other side. Leon grabs him by both hands and drags him through the room, but something I cannot see is murdering him from the other side of the door. Leon tells this cop to hang on as he drags the top half of the cop through the door, leaving behind bloody trails and chunks of viscera in his wake. The man dies or goes unconscious instantly, and the creature that's killed him is trying to smash its way through the freight door. I take the thing the officer had in his hands. This is the officer's notebook. Opening it up, I can browse two spreads. One is a pen-drawn map of an escape route out of the police station that begins under, quote, the goddess statue, goes down a shaft, through a room marked by a black question mark, then up a ladder that accesses the parking garage, and then we leave out the parking garage. Near the illustration of the goddess statue is a diagram of a simple panel that is supposed to receive three medallions. Perhaps finding and placing the medallions unlocks access to the escape route. The second spread of the notebook has pen-drawn illustrations of another three statues, one of a lion, a unicorn, and another goddess. Each statue has a red ball set in them. Perhaps these are where the medallions are located, or should be located. Below each illustration are three different symbols, like as if they correspond to some sort of non-alphanumeric code. The wingdings under the lion is a lion's head, flower, and an eagle or dragon. Under the unicorn, the first symbol is something round that I do not recognize, followed by a scorpion and a vase pouring water. Below the goddess illustration is a long-haired person's head, a bow and arrow, and a snake. I recall seeing that limestone statue in the lobby. Lady Justice, I called her. Maybe I should get back there and check it out. I run out of this area and into a walking corpse that is well inside my personal space. I shoot it in the head once before it grapples and takes a bite out of me. I shrug him off and keep going. Um, I have no memory of how to get out of here. I run down a hallway and see two corpses on the farther side. I fell them both with a handful of bullets. I enter a small utility closet and walk over a walking corpse that I presumed was already dead. Well, you know what I mean. I'm out of bullets after shooting it twice, and now I realize he's body blocking my way out of this small room, and I'm out of ways to defend myself. I turn my back to him and scan the room desperately. I notice a... a, a, a what's this? I pick up a wooden board and add it to my inventory. That's probably not going to help. I look around some more. Oh shit, a box of ten bullets when I needed it most. Before I can reload, time stops and a prompt explains to me that as I take damage, my health monitor at the bottom left will drop from fine, set in green, to caution, set in orange, to danger, set in red. When in danger, quickly heal with a green herb or first aid spray before it is too late. I can see that each colored vocabulary word is associated with a heartbeat monitor, which I can imagine gets increasingly panicked as the bites stack up. I can see I'm only in the caution stage right now, so plenty of time to reload and shoot? We'll find out. Time unstops and the answer is no! I am not fast enough and he gets the second bite on me. I shrug him off and put two bullets in his head. 
He stops moving. I'm feeling the strain of limited ammo in this game, so I resolve to conserve ammo to only the baddies that I must use them on. By the way, I'm totally in danger mode right now, so I use the first aid spray, and now I am fine. I crawl under the first freight door and a corpse tries to drag me back in, but some unknown person wearing black boots yanks me free of the corpse and smashes the door in its head, saving me. It's a cop. He's of African descent and someone who succeeded at the job I failed to do for his fellow police officer not five minutes ago. He's holding his side, wounded. He says, we're safe now, which I disbelieve. We introduce ourselves. He's Marvin Bronug and Leon confesses to failing to rescue his partner. Marvin says, I'm sure you tried. We cut to Marvin squinting at a laptop while Leon idles nearby. The two discuss the secret passage map, and Leon says we're going to take Marvin to the hospital, but Marvin pulls rank, which is lieutenant, and says Leon should go alone, and that he will only slow Leon down. Oh, and this is apparently Leon's first day on the job as Raccoon City police officer? Fuck. I ascend a staircase to floor two. A corpse crashes through a window, but I'm too fast for it. Where the fuck am I going? I enter the men's locker room. One bay is locked via a three-letter dial lock, and the other has a dead, non-animated body falling out of it. Beyond the lockers is another room I cannot enter on account of a water heater blasting dangerous steam in my way. I turn back and pick up a red herb next to a vending machine. According to the tooltip, it is native to Arclay Mountains and cannot be used as is. I take it anyways. I return to the stairwell, and an animated corpse scowls at me as it descends from the third level towards me. I don't feel like going back, and so far floor two looks like dead ends, so I find five bullets on a cop nearby and promptly input them into the corpse on the staircase. I miss some of my shots, and he gets a bite out of me anyways. Now I am in the danger zone thanks to my poor aim, and I eat a green herb. A prompt tells me I can combine items for added effects and to condense my inventory. I mix red and green herbs together to make a powder that gives a full life restore. I find more bullets too. Beautiful. I make note of another dial-locked locker and enter another room. I see the shadow of a still, human-like figure just off the edge of a broken wall, but a shadow is all it is. On a desk is a key with a blue spade on the end. Outstanding. Next, I hear unsettling sounds in the distance, but press on to a dead end where I find a note written out to anybody alive enough to read it. It warns of liquors. Blind as a bat, but they have great hearing. If you walk quietly and don't use your firearm, you're likely to slip by them with no issue. Probably. Another room. Gunpowder. I craft handgun bullets immediately. 14 bullets created? That's amazing! In the west storeroom, boarding wood and a barricade lined with C4. I don't know what to do about this, and then I do. Behind this barricade is one of the three statues. It's that goddess statue, and I can see the medallion in its belly. So, what, I need something that blows this up? Hmm, well, I'll come back for you. I'm in the second floor of the library now, on hanging scaffolding above bookcases. There's a corpse down below, but he doesn't see me just yet. When I find another, I can hear Marvin on the radio. He needs me back ASAP because he's found something to show me. I gamble on Marvin's life to investigate the room, but I crash through scaffolding unexpectedly and land not ten feet from one of the corpses. It's murder time. It turns out there's three in this room and I kill them all. Seven bullets remain. Some of these bookcases are on rolling tracks and I move a few over to find a box of bullets. A fourth corpse shows up, or maybe it's one of the three on its feet again, and I put those bullets into his head, taking it down for good, or so I think. I find a door labeled exit and pass it in favor of another door that gives gunpowder, a map of the upper floors, and the unicorn statue. A panel before it has three tumblers. I move the icons that best match the ones in the cop's journal. Circular thing, scorpion, pitcher. Turns out that circular thing is two fishes taking the rough shape of a yin-yang. These icons reference astrology signs. Or some of them do? 
The statue releases the medallion, and I take it. On my way to the library exit, I pick up a red book, and for the first time in this game, my inventory of eight slots is full. This exit requires use of the blue spade-shaped key, for the door bears the blue spade-shaped keyhole. I'm in the lobby now, but I guess it's called the main hall, and I can see the limestone statue I saw when I first entered. Behind that statue is the lion statue. I look up the symbols one more time. Lion, rose, dragon, slash, eagle, thing. After discarding some gunpowder, I earn the lion medallion. Descending the staircase to the main level cues up a cutscene that begins with Marvin tapping at a laptop. He sees Claire on a closed-circuit camera feed. He says, I can reach the courtyard she's at from the second floor, east side. I'm on it. I check my map. There's a typewriter on the lobby desk. At last, I can save my game. There's a chest behind it where I can store my inventory. I store the blue spade-shaped key. I'm going to assume I can get back to the storage box conveniently once the puzzle of the escape is complete. Oh, shit, there's first aid spray on the desk, too? Great! I turn in the lion medallion and a wall slides away from Lady Justice's statue base, revealing a room below it, although bars block the way through. I turn in the unicorn medallion, and part of the statue platform slides away. Funny thing, though, I know where the final statue is, but I can't access it just yet. So, I guess let's go find Claire, then. On the way, I find a safe in a waiting room. I don't expect to crack it here and now, so I move on. On the desk is a tourism pamphlet advertising Raccoon City. I learn Raccoon City is home to a heavyweight in the pharmaceutical industry called Umbrella Corporation. I also learn the police station used to be an art museum, and nearby is an orphanage operated by Umbrella. Apparently, its stained glass window attracts visitors worldwide. Oh my god, the next door needs the spade key too. I return to get it, unlock the door, and return the key back to the chest. This is because I like to retain some inventory space as I investigate the next area. Hallway. Window boards. I have two of them now. I hear the mechanical growl of a helicopter from far away. A freight door missing a hand crank blocks my way. In the other direction is the art room. Oh, that sounds innocuous enough. Let's go in, shall we? As the door opens, I think about what my first liquor encounter might be like, and if it would be in this room. The art room is small and looks empty save for some statues and the usual dilapidated office debris that litters most rooms in this place. I pick up a magazine and read an article about a cursed red jewel and that lust for its sparkling beauty has inspired madness and murderous greed, like the One Ring. Also nearby, a weapons locker keycard. Acquiring this plays a special sound effect, denoting its importance. Yes, please! Arm me up, baby! I combine the red book with a disembodied statue arm to create left arm with a book and attach it to a nearby statue of a king holding a scepter set with a red gem. The scepter-holding hand releases its grip, and I receive the scepter. And I'm betting that I am now that red gem's ring-bearer, so to speak. But what analog of Mount Doom must I cast the scepter into? The tooltip gives no hints. It says simply, a short staff with a jewel in it. Back in the hallway, I hear a helicopter buzz the side of the police station, and the place shakes, and I can hear glass breaking. Did we just get bombed? Or did it crash? I find another green herb and combine the two. It makes mixed herb, which provides a medium amount of health. I open a door to the outside, and yes! I can see a helicopter has crashed into the brick wall nearby. There are no sounds of life or undeath from under the pounding heavy rain. We spot Claire and pretend to shoot the shit with her, separated by a locked chicken fence gate with loops of barbed wire on top. When Claire says she has no news about her brother, the helicopter explodes on alarm sounds and the whole commotion alerts several corpses to our location. Claire and Leon flee in separate directions. While Leon calls Marvin, we discover a cutting tool, but I am out of inventory. Shit. Everything I have feels so crucial. Next to it is a door braced shut with a metal chain. I almost certainly have to pitch something to break the chain off. You know what? Fuck it. I'm going back the way I came, 
all the way back to the main hall, depositing some of my inventory and returning for it later. I go back the way I came and a burning zombie takes a bite out of me. I throw it to the ground and continue racing back to the lobby. I store the scepter and the mixed herb and return. In this hallway, I see the burning zombie again, but there's a second one behind me. I put enough bullets in the first to bring it to the ground, then turn 180 to the other and finish it completely with just enough time to turn around and finish off the first. I take no damage. I step over the two burning bodies, return outside to the helicopter crash courtyard, pick up the cutting tool and snip the links and enter. There is an unmoving body on the ground, but I hear a corpse growl elsewhere. I can see it's behind the reception desk, but this is just a distraction because the body on the ground raises to its feet without my noticing and chomps me. I put several bullets into it, board up a nearby window just begging for me to get dragged out of it, cut the chain to another door, and enter. I hear crisp, loud zombie sounds that must be just feet away, but I cannot see the corpse. I do not enter this room and I regret opening that door, so I enter a flooded, dark bathroom, but there's nothing here. I exit, and I have a clear shot to the back of a corpse's head at a very safe distance away. Three deliberate shots bring it down, and I have just three bullets left. I think this was the zombie behind that reception desk, which means that area of the room I found him in is an uncertain degree of more safe to explore. WRONG! The reception desk corpse is still there. The first zombie was the zombie from the door I snipped open. Okay, okay, fine, let's go there instead. The East Office. The corpse sees me and chases me into the room. I'm sure he's right behind me, so I must explore. Fast. Gunpowder. Electrical part. This must go to the fuse box I saw earlier. Round handle in a small office that will have me in a deadly corner if I idle here a second too long. But my inventory is full again. I'm wishing I saved my first aid spray. But then again, I could ditch two window boards or the gunpowder I just found. Well, there's yellow high-grade gunpowder here too, which will make shotgun shells for a firearm I don't have yet. Might as well. I craft three shotgun shells, then flee the office without picking up the round handle and elect to see if I can just get to the main hall again to drop off some shit. As I'm kiting, I see that there's a second corpse following me. You know, I think I can still pull this off. I evade the corpses, removing a door that is pinning shut a door from this side, and emerge into a familiar hallway with the fuse box. I add the electrical part to the fuse box, and the freight door opens completely. Back in the lobby, I sequestered the shotgun shells to storage and use the herb mix. Okay, time to return to that office and pick up the round handle. I suppose that this goes to the locker room on the second floor that had the blasting steam, but we'll see soon enough. I safely kite the two corpses around the room again, pick up the handle, and return to the lobby unscratched. I retrace my steps, and I can see a zombie trying to break through the first window I boarded up. Past the locked shamrock room are two corpses that have already crawled through a window. The path is narrow, and I do not have enough bullets to contend with these guys. I think the only way out is through, so I just charge through them, hoping I only endure one bite. I endure only one bite. Run, Leon, run! A corner window has another animated corpse stretching its arms at me through a window, but behind this blind corner is another zombie who gets a second bite on me. My health is in the caution state, and I must keep running. I throw my shoulder into the doors of the operations room and scan it desperately. There's the half window I escaped through originally, but there's a chain link locked door here too. I clip the lock and enter this new unknown room. Hurry! In here is an electronic gadget. On its face is a red switch that bears the word ARM. Perhaps this goes to the C4 I spotted by the final statue. Excellent. Keep moving. Green herb. No inventory. Keep moving. Flash grenade. No inventory, but a prompt explains how to use it. It dazes and stuns enemies nearby. But like I said, no inventory. I suppose I could use my first aid spray, but I can endure one more bite before needing to use it. So I leave the flash grenade. How do I even expand my inventory anyways? Keep moving. There are two doors out of this place and a zombie is just feet away. 
One door is locked and needs a pink heart key that I don't have. The other escapes into a hallway. Hallway it is. There's a corpse out here too, so I quickly dive into the safety deposit room. Maybe I can use that keycard in here. There is an array of electronically locked lockers in this room controlled by a console which does not appear to accept my weapon's locker keycard. The console asks to input a locker number and bears a paper graph displaying locker numbers and their relative positions. Two rows, 101 through 109, and 201 through 209. But the keypad is missing the two and three keys. I punch in a number I can punch in, 104, nothing. I punch in 105, nothing. 106, the console beeps a confirmation sound. 108 makes no sound, but 109 does. As I check out the two unlocked lockers, a corpse is trying to break down the door. One of the lockers has a roll of film, no inventory, and the other has handgun ammo, no inventory. How do I expand my inventory? Fuck me, he's in here now. There's only one way out of this room and three bullets is too few. I'm going to have to kite again. As I circle the locker bay, I discover a storage locker terminal memo. Some cop the other day is putting the cretin who stole keypad keys on blast and says they need to pick up some spare keys immediately. I guess that's going to have to be me. In another room, I'm confronted with another blue spade door. I feel like I've been in this room before. Do I need to keep these keys on me every time I pass through? Or am I misremembering and I haven't actually been in here yet? I don't know, but I have to turn around. Oh my god, there are three corpses in here. I kite them around a small row of desks and pick up a document called Rookie's First Assignment. It's addressed to me, Leon. Some prick has locked my desk and I have to get the initials of their first names in order to open it. There are two alphabetical tumbler locks, one on each side of the desk. Is this what hazing looks like in the RPD? Leon's getting off easy. Easy. So what, their first, middle, and last names, or just their first names? This letter is written by Lieutenant Bronog and names another coworker as Scott. And I know his first name is Marvin with an M. So one answer is M unknown B, and the other is S, unknown, unknown. But the question is, am I good enough at this game to kite these guys around the room to look at nameplates or some shit, input the initials, unlock the desk, not have free inventory space to take anything out of it, and then flee with my life? Sounds like a tall order. Let's do it. First, I throw away the clipping tool. I recall in the equipment locker that the inventory screen will tell me when a key item is no longer of use to me, and it is only now that I just noticed the red check mark on the clipping tool. So away it goes. First thing I find an operations report dated September 28th, 2.30 a.m. It names Officer Phillips. Maybe that's Scott's last name. But this report is written by an Elliot Edward. But how do I know if it's Elliot or Scott? The corpses, they've separated now and I am pincered. I endure another bite and my health goes to dangerous. I find handgun ammo that will not be enough to save me from this showdown and attempt to flee the room. But I am too slow and a corpse tackles me to the ground and a game over. You are dead. <laughs> Well, here I go again into the game over world. <sighs> game over, kid. Where are you? I'm ready for my regularly scheduled verbal beat down. Hello? Hello? Nobody here. Usually, game over kid is waiting for me to talk about how I screwed up, but um, it doesn't seem like she got the Zoom invite. And how about those trickster kids, Cheater Cheater and Pumpkin Eater? Last time I was here, they stole my elbows and said I'd have to beat a game without dying or cheating before I can get them back. So much for that. But they're nowhere to be found either. So, what happens now? I'm not stuck here, right? Seems like a crappy way to end the Resident Evil 2 coverage. Trapped in Game Over Purgatory forever. Let's recall all the steps like as if Game Over Kid were here. Let's see here. Tyler shows up. Emasculating comment. Explanation of the failure in question. Sassy clapback followed by vague threat if I ever dare to fail my way back into her presence. 
Let's try it. Hey Tyler, what are you doing back here? You suck, what killed you this time? Well, it was zombies this time. Boring, come back when you have something more original. Now get out of here before we take your knees. Okay, okay, I'm going, I'm going. Anything? Nothing. Well, I can't just stay here. Okay, so what's around here? There's nothing in any direction, so I'll just walk. I don't know, that way. Ah, a shark! Run, run! Oh, you don't want to hurt me? You're not going to trick me into losing a random part of my body like Cheater Cheater and Pumpkin Eater, are you? You hate those guys. Why? Oh, because you're a game shark. Of course. Those guys, they're like the cheater police and you, you're a natural born cheater. Hey, have you ever heard of a little sprite named Game Over Kid? Well, I thought I'd ask. Say, I'm in the middle of this audio essay and I'd really like to get back to the game. You think you can cheat me out of here, back to where I was? I'll have to owe you a favor. Yeah, sure, whatever. Great, great, this portal? Okay, thanks Game Over Shark, I mean Game Shark. I respawn at the lobby typewriter. I clear some inventory and recreate my steps, including enduring two bites on the way to the equipment locker. But I see another section of the equipment locker room that I didn't notice earlier. In here, a special locker accepts my weapons locker keycard. I earn shotgun shells and a fucking W870 shotgun. How did I not see this earlier? I load the shotgun and blast the head off the corpse that followed me into this room. It goes down in one shot. I wait a moment to see if it gets up, mostly as a means to estimate how much damage it does. But I'm in danger mode now, so I use the spray. It gets back up, but I leave the room anyways. I go to the shower room to see if I can turn off the steam, but I don't have the wheel thing. It's still in the storage bin. And I am not thinking things through. Next, I return to the room with the last statue and attach the device to the C4. Nothing happens. I inspect it and I can see it needs a battery, but guess what? It's out of my inventory and I am thrilled about it. Back at the lobby, I pick up the spade key. But the wheel isn't here! Oh, wait, wait, I know. When I reloaded my save, that save hadn't returned for the wheel yet. I re-pick it up without incident, return to the shower room, attach the wheel to the water access, and turn the wheel. The steam stops. Through the showers is access to a hallway where a big, slimy something pulls a body off the floor and up to the ceiling. This must be a liquor. So I have to walk under this thing silently. Before I do, I enter a STARS office. STARS, that has to be an acronym for something. On a desk is a 9-volt battery and a memo that describes that a safe that used to be up here is now in the west office, floor 1, and that its combo is left 9, right 15, left 7. Access to an armory in the star's office requires a dongle I don't have. I drop normal gunpowder to pick up more shotgun shells and drop the red weed to pick up another yellow gunpowder, which makes me sad because if I found the yellow gunpowder first, I'd have a few more shells on my person than I do now. Back to the liquor hallway. I don't see it anymore. I turn a corner and, mmm, I can see it now. It is a type of mutated humanoid. Ugly, feral, and muscular. It crawls like a lizard and is currently attached to a wall, also like a lizard. It doesn't see me because it can't, and it crawls to the floor and advances towards me, slowly. This thing is getting close enough to contact me, so I give it as wide a berth as I can, hopefully aiming to simply wait it out until it positions itself in a way that I can just walk past it without incident. And that's exactly what happens. Past him is a door with a lock set inside of a pink diamond. Another door opens to the unicorn statue room, which is near the lobby. Back to the lobby, store the handgun and wooden boards. Let's open that safe and add the battery to the C4 device. I am a dum-dum, and a zombie gets a bite on me and roots to the safe. 
I turn its brains into pudding at point-blank range after. Left 9, right 15, left 7, and the safe opens. Hip pouch? You, you mean inventory? I get two more inventory spaces, thank fucking god. Another corpse approaches me, and I give it two more shells. This one has the hunting knife I plunged into it earlier. I get it back. Amazing. I blow away a third, and I'm alone in the room with the Leon desk puzzle. I read the nameplates again. Marvin Bronog, Rita Phillips, and can't find the third. Must be in that report. On the other side, Neil something, Elliot something, can't find the third. I think one of those documents I found in this room earlier was written by David Ford, so I blunt force hacked the locks on Leon's desk, knowing that one of the two locks' final letters must be D. Time passes, and I can confirm for you that the combinations are N-E-D and M-R-G. I open up the desk, and I'm rewarded with the high-capacity magazine for my handgun, Matilda. I return to the safety deposit room and pick up the roll of film. There's a dark room nearby. Maybe I can use it for... something on my way to the goddess statue? I'm able to pick up the spade key by now, so I can pick up ammo and gunpowder, which I use to create more shotgun shells. A notebook describes that green herbs heals basic injuries, blue herbs heal poison, and red herbs do nothing themselves, but boost the effects of other herbs when combined. Apparently, mixing blue and red herbs strengthens one's constitution, perhaps meaning making a guy like me more durable. Typewriter! I save. Trunk. It is all the items that are in the other trunk. Fantastico. I re-equip Matilda and add the magazine extender to it. I use the roll of film. I can't tell if I used the dark room to reveal this photo or if simply selecting the item reveals the photo, but it's a picture of that king statue with both the scepter and the book in hand. I've already solved this puzzle. The film roll disappears from my inventory, and I assume the picture is added to my documents. En route to the third statue, I pick up a portable safe. Between this and the two or three normal lockers around here with tumbler locks on them, I'm wondering where I'm supposed to be finding the clues that tell me how to open them up. Again, I reach the room with the third statue. On a desk opposite the C4, there is a document describing the battery requirement of the blasting device, as written by a cop hinting at going postal on this place in a fucking hip pouch I didn't see earlier. I earn another two inventory slots. I input the battery to the charger, and then 10 seconds later the C4 explodes. This has alerted the nearby undead to my presence. I quickly input the statue's code. Head, bow and arrow, snake, and receive the third medallion. I am immediately waylaid by a liquor on high alert, crawling on all fours on the ground. I snap to my shotgun and hold still in the hopes that he can't track me if I'm absolutely silent. But it leaps right the fuck at me and tears out a chunk of Leon. One shotgun shell at point blank to the head doesn't seem like it has much stopping power against the liquor, so I race out of the room full bore. But between me and the door is a normal corpse who's a nanomillisecond for having its hands on me. I blow its head clean off at a distance of not even three feet and it falls forward at my feet. I'm sure the liquor is anywhere from zero to two seconds away from leaping onto my back, so I go screaming out of the room. On my way back, I see the following written on a whiteboard in one of the smaller rooms. Locker room. C-A-P. Is that the solution to one of the tumbler locks? I reluctantly return to the shower room. C-A-P is the correct code. The door locker swings open, and I earn four shotgun shells. Back in the lobby, I save my game and move some inventory around. Next, I add the third medallion to the statue. Part of the statue base slides away to reveal an unlocked door. I go to Marvin, resting in a corner, but he growls awake and tells me to save myself. I tell him, no, we're taking you to the hospital, and he pulls his gun on me, telling me to leave him. I leave him. This moment has some dramatic tension to it, and I wonder if Marvin's going to come back later as some sort of undead boss encounter. Anyways, I descend the staircase below Lady Justice, the entrance to the secret passage out of the police station. Let's review that one officer's notebook, the one with the hand-drawn map of the escape route. Staircase below the statue, 
a room with some sort of unknown obstacle, elevator shaft going down, then a large room with a foreboding black question mark, then up a ladder to the parking garage. Sounds easy enough, right? The first room here is octagonal, with a custom-made wooden 16-pointed compass rose inset into the floor. Built-in bookshelves mark almost every wall. There's another door to the side, and a large wooden desk with a typewriter. Save game, fool. There's shells and powder in this room, too. Oh, and some kind of pump that needs a wheel to operate? Should I really go back all the way to the locker room showers and take that wheel back? Okay, if Martin says anything, it's gonna be awkward. I think about trying not to look at him as I cross the lobby again, but an invisible wall is keeping me from returning to the lobby. I can't get back to the lobby? What the fuck is this shit? This is bullshit. I'm, I'm actually locked out of the lobby. I'm actually locked out of the lobby. Fine. I leave the octagon and enter an elevator, which goes downward. Concrete stairwell. Down one level is a door off to the side. I walk along an elevated metal grating walkway into some sort of enormous boiler room. I hear boot stomps and growling, but do not immediately locate any threats. The map didn't say anything about stairwells and side rooms. I should really turn back, but I don't. Long, claustrophobic utility hallway bathed in amber light. Long, nervous moment as I cross. Nothing happens. This hallway opens up into a new, multi-level room packed with machinery. I move a tipped-over filing cabinet out of the way, and a horrific monstrosity leaps into my personal space. It is a huge, mutated human. Its face is that of a young or middle-aged male, but its entire body struggles to hold up its right arm and shoulder, which is overgrown with a bizarre, alien-like mutation ugly and bloody, and in the center of its monstrous appendage is a large yellow eyeball. The mutated arm is dragging around a piece of metal pipe. It grapples me and smashes me into the utility hallway until the walkway gives out and we both fall to the floor below. I dash away from it and give it several shotgun rounds to the head. One shot explodes the eyeball, but nothing is giving it pause. It catches up to me and crushes my skull in its crimson fist. You are dead. Game over. Hey, I'm back. Game over, Shark, are you there? Game Shark, that's right. You know, I'm right in the middle of something and I'd like to go back now. Can you whip up one of those portals again for me? I promised you a favor. When did I do that? <sighs> Just tell me what I gotta do. Where are you taking me? Oh, I recognize this. That's a CRTV with a with a Super Nintendo and a Game Genie attached to a copy of Chester Cheater Too Cool to Fool. You need to release your master, but you don't have opposable thumbs to input the eight-digit hexadecimal code onto the Super Nintendo controller? Is your master the Game Genie? Interesting. Well, sure, what's the code? It's in the codebook. Where's the codebook? Oh, for the love of God, how about you go get it with your game shark powers and when you have it, we can do it then. Sound good? I select continue. What am I supposed to do? Should I just run from this thing? As the game reloads, a tooltip flashes on the screen and disappears before it can finish reading. Something about poking G in the eyeball. Is this thing named simply G? Before I refight G, I descend the staircase before the room he's in all the way to the bottom. It terminates at a lonely dark room with a door I can't open. And there's a locked weapons safe that has some sort of firearm inside. There is a loose grenade lying on the ground and I wonder how deficient the stopping power of this new weapon will be. I'm not even sure I should use it on G, given the tooltip's hint of focused fire on the eyeball. I engage G again. You know what? Fuck it. I decide to run. I look at the map. It's a circuit with deadly dead ends. 
I'll just kite this guy around until he shows his ugly eyeball, and I'll open fire then. Until then, I'll simply let him chase me, his pipe sparking on the ground as he drags it around the room. After the longest minute of my life kiting him around, the eyeball appears. I'm a good 30 feet away from it. I open fire. I get three rounds into him before he's too close for comfort, and I kite him around the room again. Orange goo bursts from the eye with each shot. He's mad now, smashing at pipes that hang around the room, which is creating screens of steam in a few areas. More kiting, and I accidentally walk into one of those dead ends, but G can't close the distance fast enough. Next, he's got me pinned to one corner of the room, but can only access me from one of two routes, and when I see him trying to cut me off at one way, I go the other. This repeats until I slip out of the corner, kite him around for another minute, and when he's out of view, I can hear the grotesque stretching sounds that must mean the eye is open again. I can hear the human in him scream, HELP ME, as it chases me around. In order to fire safely, I must get him lined up in one of the room's longer corridors. I line him up and get a few more shots in. Most of the time, I'm faster than this guy, but when he gets close enough to wind up a melee attack, he lunges forward through the sheer inertia of the massive appendage. But I'm learning this boss encounter is a game of patience. Just keep your distance, and your nerves, and make each shot count. Long minutes pass, and I can hear the eyeball open a third time as I get partway through the room's longest corridor. The way is cloaked in hot steam. I go to the end, turn, and line up the shot. Two shots, then I run. It overswings its pipe and falls to its knees. I put my last two shotgun shells into the eyeball, run, and then swap out to my pistol. The next time his eye opens up, I can't get a shot in because he's not willing to walk along the long corridors at me. He's looking for a flank. I'm thinking it's time to call in the grenade. The next time the eyeball opens, I throw the grenade and round a corner. When it explodes, it brings the creature to its knees again, and I open fire. It gets up. I run, shoot a few more times, then it falls to its knees again. I use every last bullet I have on it, and it gets up. It gets up. I guess I'm going to have to make some time to loot the dead ends for more ammo. Wish me luck. One dead end has a green herb, another grenade, and handgun bullets. A second dead end has a second green herb, and I don't even remember, I was clicking too fast. The third has a red herb and handgun bullets. I mix red and green herbs and restore health to full. This seems like a smart idea because after a few more shots, I lose track of G, and Leon says to himself, where is he? A moment later, G leaps onto me from above. I hard scrabble away and throw another grenade under his feet. The blast brings him down again, and I fire into the eye as many times as I dare. It gets up, and I run. The eye looks more red than orange now, so I must be getting close. I feel like its speed is picking up too, perhaps on account of it swinging wildly at me more often than usual, and the eye doesn't seem to open and close at its usual interval. The game is daring me to run and shoot, run and shoot. And I really don't want to do that. I do this, but not for as long as I expected to because a final shot from my handgun brings it to its knees for the final time. The eye darts in several directions in panic. The thing gets up, staggers backwards, and flips over a walkway railing into a black abyss surrounded by machinery. A ladder nearby me drops spontaneously, and Leon mutters to himself, somebody must be watching me. Whew. So where's the fucking typewriter? Up the ladder is a control room. I flip a switch that slides an elevated walkway that grants access to the other side. In the next room, there's a typewriter and storage bin. I save, and then I save again, for good measure. Continued in Part 2 